Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedikin. Let's start out the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors for this past week. We had Hillary, Stephanie, Henrietta, Mel, Jessica, Tess, Felicia, Lauren, Lisa, Amy, Brian, Kelly, Kaylee, Veronica, Ashley, Juliet, Brandy, Sigourney, Jill, Melanie, Lindsay, Kelly, Amanda, Roshi, Michael, Melissa, Kevin, and Peyton. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi, we are going to be talking about former Playmate of the Year, Dorothy Stratton. Oh, good. And actress. Yeah. Uh, This is a topic that we have had requested a lot. Mm -hmm. I would say since we first started the show, people have been requesting that we we do this, and it is quite a story. Yeah. So let's get to it. Now, I just want to talk about my two of uh, my main sources for this episode. The first is the Pulitzer Prize winning piece from the Village Voice called Death of a Playmate by Teresa Carpenter. And also there was a very interesting article in Rolling Stone from 1986 about Hugh Hefner called, um, I don't have the article, but I'll post it because people should read it. It's a really long article. Uh, It's by Hillary Johnson. Okay. So Dorothy Stratton was born Dorothy Ruth Hoog Stratton on February 28th, 1960 in Vancouver, British Columbia. She had two younger siblings, a brother named John and a sister named Louise. When Dorothy was 18, she was working at the Dairy Queen in Coquitlam, British Columbia. I know I pronounced that wrong. Canadians, please come at me. (laughs) Tell me how I fucked up. I'm just like excited for Dairy Queen. (laughs) What is it about hot girls working at Dairy Queen and getting discovered? I don't know, but I love Dairy Queen. Like... It's not very Southern California. No, I did I not grow up, up with it. I did not grow up with Dairy Queen. Yeah, but I, I there is something exciting about it. It's just the name. <laughs> I think like it a hot is name. because I, I personally, I am a Dairy Queen. Yeah, me too. I, I love it. I love dairy. They have the ice cream that's dipped into the crunchy chocolate, and I'm a big fan of that. And they also had one that was like strawberry, so it was like pink. I just love right. the pink one too. <laughs> I love a soft serve with a shell because it reminds me of. Growing up, going to the Jersey Shore, yeah, at my grandma's house, it's so good. And there's just something about biting into that shell, and it kind of oozes out. <laughs> Sorry, it's, I just there's wanna, like a you know what I mean. Like you just bite it; it's a little bit more melty than you were expecting. I just want everyone to know it's 11 a.m. right now, and we're <laughs> talking about soft serve ice cream. And I probably have a fever. I'm very sick right now, but I'm still down to. I could eat one of those. Yeah, they're good. Okay, so. She's working at the Dairy Queen, and it was there that she met 26-year-old Paul Snyder, who was a club promoter from Vancouver. Now, Paul grew up in Vancouver's East End, which the Village Voice described as a tough area. As a child, Paul was ashamed of his scrawny frame, and so in his late teens, he took up bodybuilding, and he became incredibly yoked. (laughs) Now, this guy is amazing looking. I mean, and by amazing looking, I mean, like... Well, I'll show you pictures. It's like, it's wild. Yeah. It is like every sleazy 70s cliche oh, yeah. of a person. I mean, I know what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk more about that in just a sec. Paul loved being a part of the nightclub scene. He was definitely that guy. Ugh. He was like turning up at the club and the girls loved him because he was that guy. He had a he had thick black hair and a very 70s mustache. He donned flashy clothing including fur coats and silk shirts that were open to reveal like a carpet of chest hair. He also always wore a gigantic iced out star of David pendant. <laughs> And I gotta say, Desi. Look, I mean, from the no, no, I I got. Let me me just say, I gotta say, this honestly is my style aesthetic: (laughs) is fur coats and a star of David pendant. I know when you hear it. I mean, I know he's awful, but you're kind of like, wow. (laughs) It's pretty inspirational. Yeah, it is a yeah. He was known as the Jewish pimp, which (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel like he's stealing your brand. (laughs) 
I know, which is so unfortunate because he's such an awful guy, but like this is like my entire aesthetic. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. Now, according to the Village Voice, Paul was not taken seriously by the actual gang members in the area. Uh He was like definitely that guy who was like all for show. And I think, I don't know, at least I know that guy. Yeah. Who's like, this is a dangerous type of guy. Now, he never dealt drugs or did them, and he was not particularly good at hustling money. And a quote from someone in the Rounder crowd, which was like the gang around that time, he said, quote, nobody trusted him that much, and he was scared to death of drugs. He finally lost a lot of money to loan sharks, and the Rounder crowd hung him from his ankles from from the 30th floor of a hotel room. Damn. He had to leave town. And that is like very vanilla ice. Yeah. (laughs) Well, on the run, Paul escaped to Los Angeles where he had dreams of making it big in Hollywood. He bought a gold limo. (laughs) Sorry, how in the hell? Look, just incredible. And he began pimping out girls in L.A., Of course, he also tried to break into the movie business while he was down there, but he had no success. Okay. And he would try and like schmooze with like famous people or people who like had some clout, but they didn't want to be around him. I mean, they're like, who is this clown? Yeah. Besides the gold limo, he's not very cool. (laughs) (laughs) He ended up moving back to Vancouver. When Paul saw Dorothy working behind the counter of Dairy Queen in 1978, he saw an opportunity to make some money. I, I love that this guy is even going to Dairy Queen, <laughs> right? Like, it doesn't really seem like it would be something on his radar, like pulling up in your gold limo with your fur coat to go to Dairy Queen. Although you would do that. <laughs> I have done that at Del Taco. One time, oh my God, one time me and my friend Frederick, Frederick listens to the show. Hey, what's up? One time me and my friend Frederick left this Tom of Finland uh, part, themed party. That we, <laughs> and like we were dressed to the nines and we immediately went to Del Taco and sat in the restaurant. I'm always like jealous when I see actresses going to like McDonald's after the Oscars, like in a ball gown. I'm always like, yeah. that's like the only reason I want to get dressed up totally. so that I can end up in a fast food restaurant wearing like haute couture. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Now, Dorothy was a beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed young woman, and he was just like in awe. He was awestruck when he saw her. He got her number from one of the other waitresses. Paul was going to make Dorothy a star. Paul had money, and Dorothy grew up with very little. He wooed her with expensive gifts, and although his personality was often loud and obnoxious, he was also charming to her. He had that side of him. He took her back to his apartment, which was impressive looking and furnished with burgundy furniture, (laughs) which I felt like was an important note to make. Damn. I mean, this guy is at an 11, (laughs) right? He is just not taking any steps back. He's going for it. No. You gotta, I mean. All the boxes are checked. Jesus. But it's like, he's even going beyond the boxes. (laughs) He's like, you didn't even know this this could happen. But all burgundy furniture, I've never, I need to see his apartment. I I want to see it so I need to find pictures of it. Uh, So he takes her back to the apartment. He seduced, Paul seduced Dorothy with his plans of stardom. These were dreams that she had never had before meeting him. Right. But he was like, you're going to be a star. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. He was determined. And at this point, he began fully... How did he have money? Just from... Um, just from his like gigs okay. around town. Like, like he doing club promotion. His family didn't have money. So he was making money somehow. Yeah. Uh-huh. His club promoting, okay. he was making money that way. Now, he was fully grooming her to become this star. Paul ended up taking Dorothy also. He, he took her to her high school graduation dance. Oh, my God. So also he was like the older guy. What's the age difference? He's 26 at this point, and she's 18. Okay. Paul next scheduled Dorothy's first professional photo shoot. It was fully clothed, and Dorothy wore a white dress. At this time in 1978, Playboy was searching for a model for their 25th anniversary issue. Paul believed it could be Dorothy. So he set up a nude photo shoot with photographer Ken Honey, Uh, to take the pictures. Now, she was nervous about posing nude and obviously very inexperienced in general as a model. This is like her second photo shoot, and she's going fully nude. Though Dorothy was 18, she was underage by Canada's laws, so she had to have her mother sign off on the shoot. 
The photos were then sent to Playboy, and Dorothy was asked to come down to L.A. that August for a test shoot. Dorothy became a finalist in the 25th anniversary Playmate search, but she would later become August 1979's Playmate Playmate of the Month, like a year later. Okay. Now, Dorothy and Paul moved to L.A. in 1978, and he proposed to her. The newly engaged couple were living in an apartment together in West L.A., and in June of 1979, they married in Las Vegas. Hugh Hefner got Dorothy a work permit as well as a job at the Century City Playboy Club. At this time, Dorothy changed her last name from Hoog Stratton to Stratton, right. which I think is a good choice. I think so. What is it? Hoog? Hoog Stratton. So H-O-O-G? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Not only was Dorothy a natural as a model, but she could also act, which was like, they. it was like, oh, this is this rare combination that she looks like this Playboy bunny, but she also has some talent. She right. was like sort of being poised as the next Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Especially since she had this like... Blonde... Fun, blonde, blue-eyed, flirty. Yeah, innocent, but also seductive. Yeah. And she was charming mm-hmm. and, and, and all this stuff. She met with an agent who got her a small role in the 1979 film America-thon, starring John Ritter and Fred Willard. She began appearing in bit parts in other films as well. Her first starring role came in the 1979 exploitation film Autumn Born, which is a film where Dorothy is kidnapped by her rich uncle and sexually abused by him. Oh. Sounds like a movie right up your alley, does he? I was like, that sounds amazing. Autumn Born. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is her name it. Autumn? <laughs> I think so. I feel like it is. It has to be, It right? has to be Autumn. But yeah, this was like basically a softcore porn movie. Okay. Like it was very, yeah. yeah. And I want to see it though. Me too. It, it sounds good. Well, Paul Snyder had put most of his energy into Dorothy's rising stardom. He also had some side gigs like going on in LA for a bit as like he would put on wet t-shirt contests and wet <laughs> underwear contests. Very artistic. <laughs> Projects happening. He, you know, he had a creative side too that he wanted to explore. <laughs> T-shirt contest, my god, and wet underwear contest oh. for the guys. <laughs> Dorothy and Paul ended up moving into a bigger place, a house in West LA, with a friend of theirs. It was this doctor that they met at the Playboy Club, so he became their roommate. Oh. Paul was thrilled at Dorothy's success, and he dreamed out loud of the day that they would one day be able to move to Bel Air. Dorothy felt an immense amount of pressure to be successful and to not fail her husband. Mm. Paul was very controlling of Dorothy. He was not just her husband, he was also her manager. And she was like, and he was like just micromanaging absolutely everything he did. She wasn't allowed to smoke or drink and he sort of watched a lot over like a lot of her activities that she did. Right. He, she was like, I mean, he was in love with her, but she was also a product to him that he needed to market and sell. He told her that she did, however, have a pass to sleep with Hugh Hefner if she needed to, to get ahead. Oh, like he encouraged that. Like you go sleep with Hugh Hefner if you want, if you need to. Yeah. And obviously Dorothy didn't want to. She's like, no, I'm married. She wasn't like about that. She wasn't really about that life. Like she was a faithful woman. She didn't. Well, she actually loved him like a husband. She did love him. Um, now Dorothy was invited to the playboy mansion frequently, of course, because she was like their playmate of the month and she was a star and Paul was not. And this annoyed him. Like he wouldn't be invited, invited along with her. Oh, it would just be like Dorothy invited. So no plus one. I mean, she could have a plus one if she really wanted to. But it bugged him that he wasn't specifically invited. Yeah, he wasn't specifically invited to the And the mansion. truth of the matter is he should have wanted her to go by herself as far as like promoting and not worrying about sticking with him. Like That was actually mentioned in the Village Voice article is that it was encouraged that playmates who had who were in relationships or had husbands to just go there single and just... Schmooze or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and like work. It's like a business right, thing. Right, right, right. So... She, yeah, he he did not like that. He felt excluded from the Playboy Mansion. Well, because he actually thinks he's something too. He thinks he's also a star. Yeah, come on, dude. In, I mean, he. To be fair, <laughs> he has to, all burgundy furniture and a gold limo. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Now, Dorothy had real crossover appeal. 
into like mainstream films and gigs. In nineteen seven, in late nineteen seventy nine, Dorothy found out that she was going to be Playboy's nineteen eighty Playmate of the Year, which is Ooh, a huge deal. Yeah. The more her star rose, the more controlling Paul Snyder became. Dorothy's close friends were concerned about Paul and were aware of his controlling ways. And Hugh Hefner never liked the guy either. He said, quote, she knew I had serious reservations about Snyder. I had sufficient reservations that I had him checked out in terms of a possible police record in Canada. We didn't get anything. I used the word and I realized the risk I was taking. I said to her that he had a, quote, pimp-like quality about him, end quote. So Hugh never liked him from the start. And I'm sure Paul could sense that. Right. But he's the Jewish pimp. (laughs) Did he embrace that name or that was just I'm what he sure was called? he yeah. did back in Vancouver. Yeah. He thought it... I mean, you got to love Hugh Hefner calling someone a pimp, right? Right. <laughs> in early 1980, Dorothy was cast in the Peter Bogdanovich film, They All Laughed. The film starred John Ritter, Ben Gazzara, and Audrey Hepburn. They All Laughed is a rom-com set in New York about three private detectives who investigate women suspected of cheating, but then they end up falling for them instead. Right. Now, Bogdanovich had first met Dorothy at the Playboy Mansion's roller disco party, <laughs> which honestly sounds amazing. Yeah. I like, I, that's the party I want to be Me at too. in the late 70s. Come on. When they all laughed, began filming in March of 1980 in New York, Paul Snyder wanted to accompany Dorothy, but she told him that she didn't want him there while she was working. And that is uh, obviously something that infuriated him oh, as yeah. well. Peter Bogdanovich and Dorothy Stratton began having an affair while on set of the film. Bogdanovich became obsessed with Dorothy, and he was just like head over heels in love with her. Right. It was like love at first sight, basically. Uh, back in Los Angeles, Paul Snyder could sense that Dorothy was drifting away from him. So Dorothy flew back to L.A. in April while she was on a break from shooting to attend a luncheon for Playmate of the Year. But she was distant with Paul, and this infuriated him even more. When Dorothy told him that she needed some space, he lost it. Paul Snyder hired a private detective to spy on Dorothy to find out if she was having an affair with Peter Bogdanovich. I mean, it's like movie. <laughs> it's like the movie. It's really... It's so creepy. It's really wild that she's filming this movie about private detectives investigating their lovers, and right. then he's doing that. Yeah. He probably thought that was so funny. He has no chill. He has no chill. Do like, it when she's shooting something something else. Or right. don't do it at all. Please. Yeah. Just don't, don't do, do it. it at all. If you have the, to, the most chill. <laughs> if you have to hire a private investigator on your spouse, there's something wrong either that you... Sh- something's wrong. Yeah. Your relationship is not solid. It's, it's not going yeah. well. Yeah. Okay. So he hires this private detective... He also wanted to find out from the PI whether or not Bogdanovich was supplying Dorothy with cocaine. He wasn't. And he also wanted information on her assets. Like he was worried that she was like hiding money from him. Yeah. And that he wasn't getting what he deserved. Exactly. Paul's plan was to sue Bogdanovich, but eventually he gave up knowing that the director's lawyers were infinitely more powerful than him. Also, you would look like a huge loser. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, can you imagine Dude, getting cucked by Peter Bogdanovich? Seriously, with his ascot, <laughs> you don't sue that guy for stealing your wife. You like run away and and act like it never happened. <laughs> by June, Dorothy had filed for separation from Paul. She had had enough. Good, yeah. Fearing that the money was about to stop rolling in for him. Paul set his sights on another young woman to groom into stardom, a 17-year-old girl from Riverside Riverside named Patty that he quote-unquote discovered at a car show. He was like, well, I'm going to try and make this girl a star. It's so gross. Just get a life. Like, stop using these women. Right. It's so awful. She moved into his and Dorothy's West L.A. apartment. But Patty was not taking off the way that Dorothy did. Right. Like, so well, that was, was like a once in a million. Like, I mean, yeah. come on. Paul had hoped to cash in also on a photo shoot that he had set up with Dorothy a year prior. The photographers showed up to New York while Dorothy was still there working on the movie. They came to the Plaza Hotel, which is where she was staying, and she was actually staying in Bogdanovich's suite. So Dorothy answered the door in her pajamas, 
and she looks at these photos that are being presented to her from this older photo shoot. She hasn't seen them yet. And she begins having second thoughts about them. When the photographers tried to contact Dorothy again, the plaza told them to stop contacting her. Paul was furious because this meant that the photos weren't going to get published and he wasn't going to get his cut. Right. Because he was a manager. Yes. His manager when cut. he yeah. procured yeah. those. And and Dorothy at this point had like another manager and like a team of people. people. Yeah. So yeah, but this was like a year prior. So Paul was like, he had brokered this or whatever. Yeah. He, had, he had made this deal. Paul was furious, feeling like this was his last chance to make money off of Dorothy. According to Paul's friends, he was devastated and wallowing around their apartment. He was also upset about Dorothy possibly showing up to the upcoming annual Midsummer Night's Dream Party at the Playboy Mansion with Bogdanovich. He called up the mansion trying to get an invitation, but was told that he could only go if Dorothy brought him, which obviously wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Dorothy rented an apartment in Beverly Hills, but she was actually living in Bogdanovich's home in Bel Air at this time. Oh, where he wanted to be. <laughs> where he wanted to be. He always wanted to move to Bel Air, with, uh, where, where the real successful people live. Yes. Despite Paul being creepy and controlling, Dorothy still felt some emotional attachment to him. She also just felt bad for him. Yeah. I mean, that's. I feel like that is also just very understandable. She was in a relationship with this guy. This is still her husband, even though they're separated. I mean, I feel like every woman has been in something like that where you feel bad. Of course. To, you know, to various degrees. Absolutely. So she agreed to meet with him on August 8th for lunch. To say Paul was excited about this meeting was an understatement. Like, they hadn't seen each other in a few months at this point. Yeah. And... He really believed, oh my God, my wife's coming back to me. This is it. Right. I can't, uh, this, like, my wife's coming back. The money's coming back. It's all going to work out. She loves me again. She broke up with Peter, etc. Now, his friends recall Paul being incredibly giddy the night before this meeting. But the lunch date did not go at all how Paul had planned. It actually ended in a fight, and they certainly weren't getting back together. I mean, that's how I would have predicted it would go. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, that is like a break from reality that he thought it was going to go so well. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, Dorothy really just wanted to discuss like uh, details of their separation. Yeah. I mean, that's the logical thing. Right. I mean, unless I, I, you didn't say anything about her leading him on or saying anything like, so yeah, no, I know what she was like. She was probably very not saying anything bad or good. Like I just know exactly how that phone call went and he was able to read things into it. He filled in all the blanks Uh, and he turned, he created this scenario in his head that absolutely did not exist. So when it was just what it was going to be, it was even more devastating. Absolutely. And And humiliating. He was humiliated. That is a perfect way to describe it. Humiliated and furious and devastated. Now, Dorothy told Paul, after, like at this time, she's like, you know what? I'm in love with Peter Bogdanovich because they were they fought, and she's like, fuck you. Yeah, I'm in love with him, and that she was going to go through with their divorce. So she got some of her things from their apartment and told Paul that they would discuss the divorce settlement soon. That Sunday at a barbecue that Paul was hosting, he asked the private detective friend that he had hired if he could get him a machine gun. <sighs> First of all, if someone asks you where they can get a machine gun, that's not a good sign. Don't get it for them. Do not get it for them. A machine gun. Just casually I mean, at your barbecue. Yeah. Do you know where you can get me a machine gun? That's never a good sign. No. That's a red flag. It is a red flag to me. The The de- private detective, his name was Mark, he said no. So Paul went in search for another means of procuring a firearm. He saw an ad in the classifieds for a 12-gauge shotgun that someone in the valley was selling. And on Monday night, Paul went to pick up the gun, but he got lost on the way, so he went home. Oh. That same day, Dorothy had called Paul and told him that they would meet on Thursday morning to discuss the settlement. Peter Bogdanovich had learned of the private detective that Paul had hired to spy on Dorothy, and he was fucking pissed. Yeah. He did not want her to meet with Paul, but she assured him that it would be fine. Paul contacted the gun seller again, and by Wednesday, he was able to purchase it. According to Paul's roommate, the doctor, he was in a good mood that day. 
He gave the impression that him and Dorothy were on good terms. At night, he went to look at the photos of Patty at the photographer's studio. That was the Riverside girl. Uh The photographer, Bill LaChase, would later note that Paul's about Paul's good mood as well. Bill also remarked that while Paul was at his studio, he began talking about Claudia Jennings, a playmate and actress who had died the previous year in a car crash on PCH. Claudia had a movie coming out before she died, and Paul commented about how, you know, some actresses, they just get killed before their movies come out. And I don't think that this photographer thought much of it at the time, but of course, in hindsight, as we will learn, that yeah. is a very creepy thing to say in hindsight. Even like in insight. <laughs> I mean, it is. Like, right? Because it's like, why would you ever? It is a weird thing. Because, to... I mean, I can see why he didn't take note of it, but it's such a weird thing to say, even in the moment. It's like, well, not really. <laughs> That's not a common thing that actresses no. die before their movie comes out. Like, no. sure, it's happened a few times. It, right, but and like, it's tragic. Yeah, weird. So on August, oh, sorry. On Thursday, August 14th, at around 12.30 p.m., Dorothy Stratton arrived at Paul's West L.A. apartment to discuss the divorce settlement. Both of Paul's roommates, Patty and the doctor, were gone, so it was just the two of them there. The private eye called Paul several times throughout the afternoon to see how things were going, but no one picked up. At 5 p.m., Patty returned back to the apartment with a friend. She saw that the bedroom to Paul's door was closed, so she didn't want to bother him. The two girls left to go skating, and they later returned to the apartment at 7 p.m. The doctor roommate was home by 8 p.m. They all noticed Dorothy's car was still in the driveway, as well as her purse in the living room. They had figured that her and Paul had made up and just wanted to be alone in the bedroom. Paul's phone downstairs continued to ring throughout the night. It was Mark, the private eye, calling. Finally, he got a hold of Patty. He told her, I need you to knock on Paul's door. She didn't want to, so she asked the doctor. And when the doctor opened up Paul's bedroom door, he was met with a gruesome scene. The nude bodies of Paul Snyder and Dorothy Stratton were found each with a single gunshot wound to their heads. Dorothy was shot in the face, and Paul was found lying on top of the 12-gauge shotgun that he had purchased. Their deaths were suspected to be a murder-suicide, with Paul first shooting Dorothy and then himself. Paul was 29, and Dorothy was 20. Peter Bogdanovich was obviously devastated. His film, They All Laughed, was released in 1981, and it was a flop. In a failed attempt to revive the film by marketing and distributing it with his own money, he would later have to like file for bankruptcy. Right. He blew all his money trying to save this film, and I think... Partially, he was trying to save it in a fit of grief. Like, this was Dorothy's last right. movie. He wanted to have her performance sort of scene. Yeah. yeah. And I I think it's now, like, it is kind of like a cult classic or a cult film. Like, some people do like this movie, even though it wasn't a success right. at, the box, at the box office. I saw it a long time ago, and it's like... It's like fine. Maybe people like it more because it has her. I in think it. it has that storyline, like that undercurrent to it yeah. that kind of makes it more dark or something. I, I don't seen know. It. Yeah. Right. But also, yeah, like people didn't. I think that also probably contributed to why people didn't flock to the box office to see it. A rom com with a, like a murder. I mean, yeah. Someone who had just been murdered. Yeah. yeah. So. In 1983, the Bob Fosse film Star 80 was released about Dorothy Stratton. Mariel Hemingway played Dorothy and Eric Roberts played Paul Snyder. Love this movie. Yeah. It's amazing. It was based off of the Village Voice article, Beauty Should Be Good For You. And that's why we're excited to tell you about Beauty Counter. Beauty Counter is a clean makeup and skincare brand that started in 2013, disrupting the beauty industry by shedding a light on the need for stronger ingredient regulations in the personal care products that we use daily. Today, Beauty Counter is the leading clean beauty brand creating innovative and high-performing products that are safer and cleaner than even their like-minded competitors. So what do we mean by clean? Over 1,800 questionable ingredients are never used in Beauty Counter's formulations. They call this their never list. You can learn more at beautycounter.com, where you're also going to want to check out their incredible products. 
Best of all, if you're a new customer and you order through March 15th, you'll get free shipping on your order of $100 or more when you use the code HOLLYWOOD. Once again, to get free shipping on your order of $100 or more, go to beautycounter.com and use the code HOLLYWOOD. As most of us have found out the hard way, getting into debt is easy, getting out of it is hard, especially if your credit score isn't great. Thankfully, now there's Upstart.com, the revolutionary lending platform that knows you're more than just your credit score and offers smarter interest rates to help you pay off high-interest credit card debt. I know firsthand that there's nothing more frustrating than trying to pay something down and your payments are pretty much just paying off the interest. Upstart goes beyond the traditional credit score when assessing your credit worthiness. Upstart believes you're more than just your credit score. They believe in you. The best part? Once the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. So free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt by consolidating everything into one monthly payment with Upstart. See why Upstart is top-ranked in their category with a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot and hurry to upstart.com Hollywood to find out how low your Upstart rate is. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. That's upstart.com slash Hollywood. In 1984, Bogdanovich published his book, The Killing of the Unicorn, about his relationship with Dorothy Stratton and about her murder. Now, obviously, he goes after Paul in this book, but he largely blamed Hugh Hefner and the culture around Playboy for her tragic oh, end. Oh, I want to read this. Now, I desperately want to read this book, and I feel like we could do a whole other episode just about this book. Yeah. I tried to purchase it, but it's not available on like any ebook, so I have to order. Like, It's not in print anymore. Right. I was thinking that would be a good sort of new show topic, like a celebrity bios or memoirs, like tell-all. <laughs> like yeah. each, each episode would be like a... A tell-all. Just like a adding it to the mix. I, wanted, I love those. I would love to do a deep dive just into Peter Bogdanovich in general. Yeah. Because he, he is, he's a character. Yeah. And we're going to talk about him a little more here. Because yeah, because there's another sick there's, story. There's another, <laughs> there's, there's some more stuff coming down the pipeline in this episode. Right. The story is... I know, it's crazy. The story is not over at all. Now... So so in this book, The Killing of the Unicorn, Peter blames Hugh Hefner specifically and Playboy for Dorothy's end. This is an excerpt from the book. When people read of the death of Dorothy Stratton, they shook their heads and talked about the eternal triangle. It was the age-old story. Play with explosives and they blow up. Even I believed it as the only living member of that triangle. But as I tried to find the truth, I discovered a fourth side, hidden and dark. Eventually, there would be no doubt in my mind that if the shadowy Hefner side of the pyramid had never existed, Dorothy would not have died. She could have dealt with Paul Snyder, a small-town pimp who first spotted and sold her, but she could have not handled the slick professional machinery of the Playboy sex factory. Now, personally, I disagree with that statement. That I don't know that that wouldn't have still happened without Playboy. I feel like I think it still pa- could have happened. I think Paul was obviously a very sick person yeah. and a controlling person. And like her friends, Dorothy's friends, like were wary about Paul. Like, I mean, this it's a classic. All- this is a relationship we're all very familiar with, like this dynamic. It's just very naive. And I don't know where you get somebody gets the idea that just because somebody isn't like a big, like uh, important, like f- like rich person that they can't murder their spouse. Do you well, know what also, I mean? Like, no, like it's that, it's bizarre because it happens all the time. Yeah. Uh, now I think like the Playboy aspect could have infuriated Paul more because he did feel left out of that world, but he would have felt that with anything that she was involved in without him. And I do feel like it's a little bit of a. Um, you know, taking away his responsibility or whatever guilt he feels. If he can blame Playboy and say it wasn't me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. It's like the the real thing was that she left him for another man who was really successful. That, not that it's his fault. No. But that was a big triggering factor for this guy, like more than Playboy, I think. 
Yeah. So it definitely seems like he's trying to take himself out of the equation a bit. Like, As if people would blame him in the first place. No one place. would blame him. Nobody it's would blame him. It's an insane thing. Like, but, but he obviously felt a guilt about it. Yeah. Uh, which is, I guess, understandable. I mean, I would probably feel guilty too. Right. In a way. Even, even though, though I know it wasn't my fault. Like, right. And it's not his fault. Yeah. But yeah. So I feel like it's a little bit of him trying to distance himself. Right. Now... This book had very mixed reviews. People magazine called the book, quote, provocative but relentlessly self-serving. Well, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people thought like, oh, you know, Bogdanovich, he he makes himself the hero of this story and like he's this like savior to women. Yeah. And the reality is if they had stayed together and this didn't happen, they probably would have broken up too. I mean whatever like that's fine but he isn't some this wasn't some like thing where he saved her or it also yeah yeah, I mean we're gonna get into this more okay (laughs) now in the book Bogdanovich claimed that Hugh Hefner raped Dorothy the very first night that she was at the Playboy Mansion Bogdanovich says that he was told by hit that he was told this by a former friend of Hefner's, a guy named Patrick Curtis, who met Dorothy at the mansion. The two became close friends, and at one point Patrick was banned from the mansion. So Hefner claims that Patrick Curtis made this up because he was mad about being banned from the Uh mansion. Everyone's mad about being banned from the mansion at this point. This is a, a quote also from The Killing of the Unicorn. In truth, doesn't Playboy figuratively seduce and rape young women? More and more women, as well as a sizable body of men, are finding the Playboy philosophy at the core of many evils in our society. Now, I mean, it's pretty wild. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a difference between literal and figurative rape. Like, is he saying I feel, Hugh Hefner raped her? He's saying that he forced him. He was actually uh, made to change the language from rape to forced upon in his book okay. from Hugh Hefner's lawyers. Right. Yeah. Now, I mean. uh, he, he was saying that Hugh Hefner raped Dorothy Stratton in the jacuzzi grotto Ugh, area. going to vomit. Now... <laughs> But he's like, to me, this 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 last little blurb I read seems like, and if you can't prove that, they also figuratively rape. Right, you. that's you what know. it seems like. Yeah, even if that's not true, <laughs> this can, is can true. we all say that this is true? It's <laughs> like I think we can all agree, and it's like, uh, well, I'd like to know. <laughs> right, I'd like to know. That's a pretty big accusation. Yeah, I'd like to know more about that. And and the truth of the matter is, I've heard those things about Hugh Hefner before. I have with other people, so it's not that I don't disbelieve it. No, but like, uh, it's a weird accusation to make I mean, without more is, proof. This is a grief book. Yes, this is, and it's a grievance book, <laughs> and it's a grievance book, and we're gonna get into some drama right now. When Hugh Hefner suffered a stroke in 1985, he blamed Bogdanovich's book. He said that his stroke, quote, resulted from stress developed over the last year in reaction to the pathological book written by Peter Bogdanovich. Now, in a 1986 interview with Rolling Stone, Hefner said, quote, when the manuscript first fell into my hands, I was absolutely stunned. I thought it was science fiction. This book said I had sexually harassed or raped Dorothy Stratton on the first night I met her at the mansion. I thought, there isn't a possibility that this is ever going to be published. I mean, Peter had gone absolutely bonkers. Dorothy absolutely adored me, and I adored her. In my relationship with her, I have a I gave a great deal and took very little. She, along the way, married a creepy guy who followed her from Canada. And if there's one thing you can say about Dorothy, it's that she had very bad taste in men. She, in fact, had a self-esteem problem and seemed to seek out these men. Her relationship with Peter was really just a next-level variation of on her relationship with Snyder. And the saddest thing that happened since her death is that he has done the same things that Snyder did. He tries to possess her in the same way. Now, according to Lisa Loving, who worked for Hugh Hefner at the time, she said, quote, Peter was an ass-kissing, arrogant creep. He's trash. He's lower than snake shit. Uh, Wait, what? <laughs> I'm absolutely adding lower than snake shit to my repertoire. It's great. <laughs> That's a good one. She also dunks on Peter because he wore uh, his boxer shorts in the jacuzzi. At the mansion. That's such a petty, petty thing. I I love love it. it. I love a petty dunk. Me too. That's so petty. 
In April of 1985, Hugh Hefner had a press conference where he denied the rape accusations. Now, this was a huge press conference that he put on. Oh, wow. Do you know this story? Okay. Uh -uh. This is wild. He puts on this huge press conference at his home, and he, like, there's, like, hundreds of news reporters there and everything. At the press conference, he proceeds to accuse Peter Bogdanovich of seducing Dorothy's then 13-year-old sister, Louise, after the 1980 murder. Mm. He claimed that Bogdanovich was seeking, a repla- was seeking a replacement for Dorothy. He then introduced Dorothy Stratton's mom's former husband, a man named Burl Eldridge. <laughs> What? So this guy was married to Dorothy Stratton's mom for like, like a briefly? year. Okay. So he introduces him, this yeah, guy As named, if it's an important figure in her life. Yes. Yeah. This guy named Burl, who said that he believed Bogdanovich was having a sexual relationship with Louise. This is a quote that Burl said at the press conference. I cannot see him sleeping with her if he was not having a sexual relationship with her. When I say sleeping with her, I mean many weekends he just made a habit of coming to Vancouver and taking Louise to the Bayshore Inn. Just like that, the two of them. Now, Eldridge also said that he walked into a bedroom at the Vancouver home that Louise lived at with her mom and him. And he quote, observed Louise's night clothes on the side of the bed, Nellie's on the other side and Peter's flight bag at the foot of the bed. I do believe it's quite obvious that he was acting in a sexually perverted manner. He then went on to claim that Bogdanovich also got Louise plastic surgery. So she would look more like Dorothy. Oh, he said that Bogdanovich had ruined his marriage with his wife as well. The, his wife, Dorothy's mom's name is Nell, because that he would lavish her with gifts and that he was probably sleeping with her too. Wow. This is a lot. There's really not any good men in this story, right? No. <laughs> Hefner said at the press conference, quote, it is that I have... It is this that I have known about for more than six months and have been unwilling to deal with until three and a half weeks ago. The stroke gave me permission. So he's like, I have a new lease on life or whatever. And now I'm going to do whatever. And now I'm going to just fucking accuse this guy who used to be like one of my best friends. Right. They used to be friends, we should mention. Like he would go to the Playboy Mansion all right. the time, Bogdanovich. Well, and, and Hugh's definitely going to hang out with like big A-list directors. Like, Of course. Yeah. When Nell and Louise Hoogstratton found out about the press conference, they were furious, as, of course, was Bogdanovich. This, at this time, they happened to be staying at Bogdanovich's home in L.A. on Louise's Easter break. Louise and her mother Nell actually lived at Bogdanovich's home back in 1981 for a year after the murder. Okay. So they were just visiting. This is 1985 at this point. Louise is now 16. So they hired famed attorney Gloria Allred and filed a $5 million defamation suit against both Hefner and Burl Eldridge. I'm sure Burl doesn't have $5 million. They're not getting much from (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say. He's like, I I got a couple of. Just throw him in. I got a couple of. uh, I'm sure there was some legal thing like they needed him as a witness or whatever. Yeah. Next, they held their own press conference. Louise looked into the cameras and said, I just want it to quit. I've been going through pain and suffering for the past five years, and I just think that we don't deserve to go through it anymore. Louise also said that the change in her face was not cosmetic, but as part of her orthodontist plan, that she had had jaw surgery and that her late sister had left her money for braces and orthodontia or whatever. Bogdanovich issued a statement to the press. He said, I am angry and sad that he has singled us out to make a pornographic scandal of our characters and our relationships. Hefner acts as if these two women don't exist except to be used to get at me. They do exist. Hefner responded with, quote, the victim in this story is not some 16-year-old girl. The victim turns out to be the publisher of Playboy magazine. What? I strongly disagree with that, Hef. Uh, What a wild thing to say. I mean, wow. Just so 
out of touch. I'm and- so like mad right now, just the way both of these women or the girl and Dorothy have been used by uh, these guys in like every possible way. And it's, it's all wild. Like, they have all been used by them in their dick measuring contests. It's just unbelievable. It's like they're all mad at each other, and these two women have just been caught in the crossfire. Yeah, and they all act like they care, but right. it's like they don't. No, it's so gross. It's My God, so gross. Now the suit wound up being dropped a few months later. The last time that Bogdanovich and Hefner spoke with each other was at Dorothy's funeral in 1980. And like I said before, they were close friends before then. In 1989, Peter Bogdanovich and Louise Hoogstraten got married. I know. My God. I mean, if you want to... That's not the way to deflect the rumor. That's not the way to deflect the rumor that you were having in... It's sexual so relationship with Why? this girl. Why did he do that? Oh, I just want to die. It's honestly, I knew that they got married, but I had no idea about the preamble up to that, which is even crazier to me because Why? it makes it even wilder. Well, now I that. believe it. Yeah, me too. Now I believe it. Yeah. So he was 49 and she was 20. Ugh, I'm going to vomit. Like, it's I gross. fucking hate it. The small ceremony was held at a hotel in Vancouver, and no family members were invited. In a 1989 issue of People magazine, Nell, the mom, said, quote, I feel he wants her because of a guilt trip. This happened to my other daughter who got her head shot off, and it's going to happen to this one. He didn't do it, but he was involved. If he was in love with one daughter, how can he be in love with the other daughter? In 1988, Louise appeared in Bogdanovich's film, Illegally Yours. It starred Rob Lowe. Have you seen it? What is it called? Illegally Yours? Yeah. I just I don't of, think I've seen it, but I feel like I have a vague memory of it. I, feel, I mean, Rob Lowe. I mean, that was like... <laughs> that's the, his. That's when he was like Rob Lowe and like the sex tape too, right? right. Like That's why that I thought it was like, oh, that was like the same era that it was found out he fucked a 16-year-old. Ugh, I fucking hate this. It's so gross. <laughs> so I'm just gross. so sick of men right now. <laughs> now, Louise and... Peter Bogdanovich ended up divorcing in 2001, but like they still work together and stuff. Yeah. Or they, they're friends. Right. Uh, Peter Bogdanovich was interviewed in Vulture in March of this year. Oh. And it was a, it's a pretty great interview. He, he thinks, he, he says in the interview that he thinks Paul murdered Dorothy because he was banned from the Playboy Mansion. He's still going with that? Yes. He's also maintained still to this day, that Hefner raped Dorothy. This is a quote from Vulture. Uh, He was asked how he felt after Dorothy's murder. He said, terribly fucked up, more fucked up than I've ever been in my life. You know, when Dorothy was killed, nobody called me from Hollywood. Nobody except the people working the picture who knew her or something like that. Nobody called me except Cary Grant. Cary was very sweet. (laughs) What the hell? It's a wild name drop. He also... (laughs) goes off on uh, Billy Wilder in, in oh. the interview because Billy, after the uh, after Dorothy's murder, he like said something weird. He came up and said something weird to him, and he's like, fuck that guy, basically. That's like the kind of low-level Hollywood gossip I need in my life. <laughs> like a fight with Billy Wilder over the Dorothy Stratton murder. Like, it's, what? Yeah. It's what? So then he was asked about how he felt after Hugh Hef- about Hugh Hefner after he died. Oh, right. And this is a quote from Peter Bogdanovich. I'm like on the edge of my seat. (laughs) Oh boy, I had a celebration then. He was a piece of shit. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't be uh, too sure people aren't going to feel that way when he dies. (laughs) That's like a dream quote. I love that quote. Jesus Christ. I love that he's not like, well, you know, we had our... It was a tragic time. We had our differences. We certainly had some ups and downs. <laughs> you know, he's like, fuck that guy. He was a piece of shit. Don't, I'm not mincing words here. Right. He had a celebration. He's like this in like every interview I've read with him. He's certainly an interesting person. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've read stuff about him and then, you know, he was married when he had the affair with Dorothy as well to like a well-known you know, yeah. Polly Platt, right? Like, yes. Is she a costume or a set? I can't remember. Yeah, he but was, that was like his creative partner. Like right. They were like, like a lot of people even think that she's a lot, has a lot of responsibility for his success. Like, Well, and they classic. had kids together too. Yeah. He also was in a relationship with uh, Sybil Shepherd before right, Dorothy. Right, right. Yeah. 
So he's like been around the Hollywood block, I would say, in terms of like classic nerd who gets successful and then wants to date all these hot young he women. He gets all the hotties uh-huh. and he's not hot at all. No, he's not. Um, it's so Roman Polanski. It is. It just reminds me of that. Just, just like they're like, not hot. No, but I mean, I guess they probably have some charm. For me, Roman Polanski seems a little more charming because he has a darkness. Yeah. But I mean, not that I'm fucking either of these guys. Yeah. But I could see, I, but Peter Bogdanovich just seems like more nerdy to me. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but it is wild. And I do think the Hefner stuff to me is so interesting because I, 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 Hefner, I have opinions about him. Yeah. First of all, I'm a Larry Flint girl for life. Yeah. I'm a hustler girl for life. Yeah. Me too. Anyway. I there are some rumors about Hugh Hefner that are unsavory. I mean, clearly he's an. We're gonna do a story on him. We're gonna at have some to point. talk about him at some point. I do. I used to know a woman who wrote a really amazing book, like a memoir about her time living at the Playboy Mansion in the eighties when she was a child. Right. And there's some stories in there that are just like, yeah, that's not cool. It's harrowing, like to think about what went on at that place. I mean, like I like he he definitely tried to like portray this image of himself that like, oh, I love women and I'm like such a classy guy, but there was some very not classy shit happening there. And it's definitely one of those situations where he probably sees himself being aggressive as not being rapey or not raping. Like, oh, I just, they eventually gave in. Do you know what I mean? Like in his head, I feel like he doesn't believe he ever raped anyone. Well, he's actually been quoted as saying like, why would I need to rape anyone? I'm Hugh Hefner. Which we obviously know is like not right a thing. Well, it's even grosser because it's like, well, you're not George Clooney. <laughs> <laughs> like you're still a gross old guy. <laughs> I don't care how rich you are. Like, I mean, besides the fact that that quote is stupid as hell. Yeah. Because that doesn't mean anything. I mean, Bill Cosby, like there's tons of people who could say that and right. they've raped people. Right. Um, but yeah, I just, I do always kind of want to, in my head, I'm trying to always get into their heads thinking like, they can't possibly believe they're a rapist. Right. They can't believe it. There's right. no way that they think that. But I mean, just like like the unsavory things that were going on in the Playboy Mansion, like underage girls partying and like- Oh God, yeah. Drugs yeah. and like, just like shady shit. No, the diseases so, in the grotto are like the least of the problems yeah. going on at the Playboy Mansion. Yeah. It's just, it's like a breeding ground for trouble. Just right. like drunk people partying, doing drugs- Gross guys who are all dying to be there because they think they're going to get fucked. Like, it's right. just like, ugh, I yeah. can't even. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any, like you said before, I don't like any of the men in this story. Then none of them come off well. They're all awful. They're so awful. They're all like just for their own self preservation. It's just really sad. Yeah. Okay. We'll post some pictures on our Instagram. There's a lot of really great pictures I pulled that I'm going to post. This will be up tonight. I'm sick. Please bear with me. I'm sorry. The episode well, by the is... time they hear this, they'll, 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 <laughs> they'll what you're, you're apologizing that the episode will be up tonight. <laughs> yeah. But the, no, they're getting, they're going to be mad at me that the episode's not up. Oh, okay. And then they're going to hear my apology and the reason. And the okay. reason is that I'm, I'm ill. Yes. I am infirm right okay. now. Good. Okay. Donate to our Patreon. Uh, Hollywood Crime Scene. Wait, what is it? Patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Yeah. And yeah. And yeah. Thanks, Bye. guys. Bye.